Hi, welcome to Texas Beer 30. My name is Rick Guzman, and with me, as always, is my co-host. I am Matt Shavers. And with us, a very special guest today, the real Seth Miller. Sir, how are you today? I'm doing well, fellas. Thanks for having me. Dude, thanks for being here. The reason I said that's your Instagram name. Yeah, the and real I, Seth Andrew Miller. And I love yeah. Seth Andrew Miller. Yeah, I was about to ask, are you the real Seth Miller because you're not the band? Uh... You know, I saw a trend, and I'm pretty sure my full name was already taken, so I just added the real. Yeah. <laughs> just yeah. So I didn't have to put a number. I love it, man. Dude, oh. thanks for being here, man. Oh, it's an honor. Like, I'm I'm stoked. No, man, we're in honor of your presence. <laughs> um, you are a playwriter. You are an actor. You are a director. Um, you have a theater company called uh, Fourth Act Productions. So you being here today, it's, it's, it's awesome sitting here with you and, and getting to know you better and your story. And um, we're excited for that, man. Likewise, man. I, I'm happy to share. I've got some ambitious ideas for the city of San Antonio for my own endeavors. I, and likewise, man, I want to get to know you two a little bit better, too. I, you know, we've, we've kind of interacted in, in a, a variety of ways up to this point but i don't i don't feel like i know either yeah. of you very well so well, and that's the thing like i forgot to mention you're local also out of san antonio fourth act productions is a local showing local talent yeah man look at the little spurs oh, bro man. old school tattoo yeah yeah born and bred man yeah so I, I i'm excited man um before we get too into it because i think once we do we're just going to keep rolling so uh Matt, what are we drinking today? Uh, we are drinking Oktoberfest by Shiner, uh, my favorite uh, brewery, Spetzel Brewery. Shiner Black is my all-time favorite beer, but today we're trying Oktoberfest because it is that time of the year. A little bit about Oktoberfest. Um, it says here on the label that every September, millions of people around the world gather in Munich to celebrate Oktoberfest. With a name like that, you'd think it'd be uh, that it'd start a month later, but hey, it's tradition. And if you can't be there in person, you can be there in spirit with the classic brew made from Munich and, uh, and caramel malts along with German-grown Hallertow tradition and Herzbrucker hops. Now fill your stein so fine in a stein. So fine in a stein. <laughs> Um, for anyone who's never had Oktoberfest, trust me, it's very delicious. Go out and get some, uh, especially for this time of the year. Unfortunately, you know, if you're in southern Texas where it's not actually real fall yet, um, I think the beer doesn't smack quite as hard on an aesthetic way. Mm. You know, if you're somewhere where fall is actually happening and you go outside and you drink an October blend, I think you're going to get, I don't know, a more... Uh, What's feel the word? To it maybe. Like spirited, lifted feel mm. for this beer. Mm. I mm. think it'll it'll work more harmoniously with the experience. Yeah, yeah. I, and I've never had uh, Oktoberfest, so this is going to be my first of any for kind. Me. Of any kind, man. Oh, oh. 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 I'm a virgin to this. Um, <laughs> so Shiner is probably the most popular. Uh, it is the most the popular. most popular uh, beer brewery out of Texas. Yep. Uh, and the reason we're going with that is because of Oktoberfest, right? We're in fall. We're going to try this out. Um, so a little, about, a little bit about Shiner. Uh, they were founded in 1909 by a guy named Spetzel uh, out of... Uh, yeah, Cosmos. Cosmos Spetzel Cosmos. Uh, from Germany. He was a German immigrant. And he immigrated to a little town called uh, Shiner, Texas. <laughs> and <figure>. he uh, <laughs> founded the first uh, brewery there. Uh, Shiner Brewery, which was a little shed in 1909, 
and I was reading up on their website about it. Uh, so the way he got he got popular in town, uh, farmers when they were done, he would leave a beer for them on the fence post. When they would finish their work, they'd go to the fence post and they'd have a beer waiting for them. Uh, so that's how he got his little fan base going. Um, and then during Prohibition, uh, he had to sell ice and near beer, which was a malt uh, malt drink type thing. Uh, it was a very low low alcohol concentration uh, beverage. So that's how he kept alive the brewery during Prohibition. Yeah, well, that's what that's what he was doing um, for the masses. Yeah. But Shiner Spetzel Brewery was definitely brewing illegally during Prohibition. Uh, I don't know about that. <laughs> they were. They that and that's kind of what's neat about them and neat about Texas, I guess, is like, hey, you know, screw your Prohibition. We're gonna keep doing our thing and we're gonna be responsible about responsible about it in our own way. And when they brought Cosmos in, they had a, a group of those immigrants, the Germans and Czechs who were mm-hmm. here and uh, they just wanted something that was native to their homeland and, but their, their product sucked. Yeah. So that's when they brought Cosmos in to, like, Hey, give us your formula. And that formula is highly secret. Only yeah. very few people in the world know it. And um, it obviously has paid off hundreds of a hundred years later where now Shiner, you can get it almost everywhere in the country. Like I was in New York recently and had a Shiner and I was, Man, it was it brought me back home. Yeah, being in New York, you know. Well, let's let's crack one open, man. Let's give it a shot. Yeah. Doesn't Shiner have a uh, a beer called Cosmos? Yeah, yeah, they do, right? Yeah, it's a darker blend. I don't know exactly what kind of beer it is, but it's uh, I think it's really good. It's darker. So Shiner uh, used to be owned by Shiner Brewing. Uh, now it's owned by Gambring Company Brewing out Company, of San Antonio, right? out of San Antonio, Texas. Oh, really? So yeah. talk about that. Um, hey, salute. Cheers, guys. Cheers. Shalom. Yeah, yeah. Eye contact very important during the cheers. Mm. That's good. Damn fine. Very well. Yeah. Right. Oh, I yeah. told you, man. It's good. Definitely good. Uh, Seth, why do you uh, pour your beer into a glass? You know, I just think it tastes better. Honestly, it it, uh, it also lets me drink it faster. <laughs> Without getting all full of bubbles. Yeah. That's yeah. interesting. You mentioned something before we started recording about uh, your liver not working as hard or something like that. Yeah. So I was talking with a, a, an actual German native beer lover, and she was telling me that, you know, it's traditional in Europe, especially Germany, to drink your beer room temperature. And I asked, why is that? Why, why, do, they, why do they do that? Why is that common? And she said, well, we drink a lot of beer. (laughs) I said, sure. And she said, we understand that our liver has to process the alcohol, filter it out for it to, you know, assimilate. But she said, we don't want to work our liver twice as hard because if the beer is chilled down, then it also has to calibrate the temperature. It has to regulate that to the body temperature so it's working overtime when it's both cold and alcoholic double the work so because they consume it so frequently they're trying to cut their liver a break (laughs) at least that's what she told me about it and uh i think that makes a lot of sense you know (laughs) considering that our bodies are warm and you putting something cold instantly your body goes into like a little mini shock Metabolic or whatever. Whatever the fuck it's called. But. I uh, 
I remember a doctor telling me that starting your day with a, a glass of ice water gets your heart rate up mm. and helps jumpstart your metabolism yeah. for digestion purposes. So I guess just don't do it if it's alcoholic. I don't know. I don't know. This is just what a German told me. Well, I think what it really is is like if you're if you're overheated already, like if you're already into the day and your metabolism's working, especially like you just got out of the gym or you're working outside and it's hot and then you instantly drink cold water or something yeah. your body goes into a little shock like oh we weren't ready for this new no. but um sure. if you wake up in the morning you're a little more cooled down and they say that the i've because i've heard that before like if you drink the ice cold water right in the morning it's supposedly it's better than drinking coffee mm. to get you awake as well to get you moving science another fun <laughs> fact it's not beer it's now that we're on the topic of coffee real quick apparently coffee is not meant to warm you up oh yeah coffee is meant to cool you down okay do you understand why because i don't but i've heard this i'm not gonna pretend that i actually understand the science or anything but apparently it's like because we're warm if we're overheated and we drink something warm it causes our body to activate to like like in a healing sense it's like Oh, now we get this thing. It, our body's getting too warm. We got to do something to cool down. So we start sweating. We start doing sure. all the other bodily things, and then it cools us. And I tested that when I was working at SeaWorld outdoors in the summer, and I would drink coffee, and I would feel, I would feel tired afterwards, but I definitely felt cooler. Is that true for any hot drink, or is it specifically coffee that's supposed to cool you? That's an interesting question that I don't know. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because if it's just a temperature thing and not necessarily coffee specifically that that makes more sense from from that standpoint but i wonder i wonder because obviously it dehydrates the hell out of you too right 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 well mm. you know what's even more healthier than all of that is just drinking warm water yeah that's disgusting though right like warm yeah water. well we're yeah, room, yeah well not even just room temperature room temp's warm. okay <laughs> yeah tap like tap water is fine hot water hot plain water is awful <laughs> but apparently you're supposed to do it like the ones that are in a cooler like no ice, and yeah, just, know, that's, that's all the all worst, man. Dude, that's for ramen, though. No, no, <laughs> I'm talking about like you're outdoors and you're like, I need water, and you open the cooler, and it's just bottles of water, no ice, oh, and yeah. you're just like, damn, it, it this is what I got. Like, ah, uh, man, like piss. Is there a <laughs> is there another door? Or like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. No, I don't. I don't want any plain warm water. Uh, that's terrible. Yeah, no, yeah. I'm good with that. Without that, um, Seth Miller, Rick, you uh. You are, you have a company called Fourth Act Productions. Man, what is that about? My wife, Hannah, and I started this, actually, like, you know, filed an LLC back in 2017. We were living in Austin. And at the time, it was to be much more film-centric than anything else. That's where most of our ideas were directionally at that at that time but man you know one thing leads to another life kind of pulls you in different directions and we have over the past four years COVID included definitely taken more theater uh, theater route uh, with the things that we've been doing but you know I'll tell you about the name because people always wonder what what fourth act is about, what it's why call it that. It sounds generic on its face, right? 
And just to be clear, we spell out the word fourth. It's not the number four followed by T-H. And also, someone pointed out to me one time, I think you'll appreciate this, uh, that our acronym is FAP. So I'm, I, I, I wasn't thinking about that at the time. It really wasn't popular in 2017 when we filed. Uh, so we've been very ke- careful with our logo, not to include the P. It's just F-A. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I, I, I still kind of always want to hang on to that because I think it's funny. Um, so back in the 1800s, li- listen how boring this shit sounds when I start to talk about the history of the name. So back in the 1800s, when theater, when going to the theater to take in a show was the most exciting thing you could do, right? Like uh, you could read a book or you could go to the theater to experience a story. Uh, There was a common understanding that in the fourth act of a play, the audience would experience what was called a sensation scene, something that was supposed to wow them for them to collectively look around the room and say that was it right that did you we all saw that it was supposed to give them the effect of almost bordering on danger like what they were experiencing was novel and somewhat unexpected original unprecedented so that's really the goal behind every fourth act production is to create that sensation amongst a live audience and not that we're all just michael uh michael uh who's the transformers guy (laughs) Uh, michael Michael bay Bay. we're not just like sensationalism for the sake of it of course like we want to tell stories we want to move audiences to provoke thought but i think theater has an advantage over other art forms in that if you can capture something live in person, there's nothing quite like it. And the response in the room is, is palpable. You can feel what's happening collectively. Yeah. Um, it's ephemeral, right? Like, and it's also special because it's the one time that it's happening, unless it gets recorded and then you can experience it multiple times. But for the audience member and for the performer, everyone who's in the room at that moment, that you're the only people who will get to experience that moment in, in time and whole existence that way. And that's another thing that's really cool about it too. Man, in our digital age, our technological revolution, we are so disconnected from each other just by design like that. We, we want it that way. I mean, it's clear the data shows we want separation, right? But I think that's why the theater will never die is because it will be a known place for the other. Mm. It will be a known place where you can go to experience something in the flesh in person, live, never to be copied. Even when it's filmed, I mean, it's not, it, there's nothing that replicates It's not it. the same. No. No. There's something about being, we talked about this on the last episode, there's something about being in that room. These are real people. Like, if I go up on stage, like, these, I can touch these people, right? Like, a movie, it, it's not the same feeling. That's right. That's right. And the only thing that rides akin to it is obviously sports, but they're fundamentally different in that, Sports are spontaneous, 
the energy is completely different. There's not necessarily a story and you're not, it's not designed for you to learn something or to take away some, some profound under new understanding or to have, to have looked at something differently after the fact. So it cover, they both cover entertainment, but in very different right. forks in the road. I wonder if there's a, if there's a potential middle ground, if it's been done before, I don't know, but could you possibly do like a live broadcast of a theater production? Um, and that obviously gets recorded and then gets put out into the world. Also kind of connecting that idea of sports and theater together. Like when you are at a football game and you know, an amazing play happens, it's like, Holy shit. I saw that happen live. Even if you are at home watching it on TV, you're like, dude, I watched that happen in time. Like, that's crazy. Like, you'll remember seeing your favorite quarterback make the touchdown, and you'll, you'll always remember that for your whole life. Same mm-hmm. thing with seeing a theater play. So I wonder, and you can always go back and rewatch those recordings. So I wonder, is there something like that with theater specifically that already exists? Is this a goal of fourth act, fourth act production? Like, Look, I didn't necessarily know if how deep in the weeds we were going to get about this particular topic, but I can definitely share some of the intentional you know directions we'd like to head in that particular on on that you know sure on that topic if did either of you guys happen to see the disney plus hamilton yeah yeah very good oh well there incredible you go. there you go there you go now that 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 might be different than what you're talking about though because it was filmed over the course of a week mm-hmm. there wasn't a live audience oh. present that was done for that for it, it was on stage for that specific. Yeah. Disney yes. plus. Yeah. Yes. So it's, it's somewhere middle ground between film and, and theater because it's on stage. It is big numbers, long takes, continuous footage, but it was compiled over several production days. Okay. As it were. I think what you're talking about is a little bit more along the lines of what, what we did love to eventually be able to capture during the pandemic and even right before it got started i heard about certain theater companies mostly in 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 england doing live streams of mm-hmm. plays yeah um what draft house was doing it here in san antonio was the draft house it's it, it's really yeah. common in opera and sometimes ballet. Yeah. They'll so, do that. So in our, uh, in college, uh, we had a professor who would be like, hey, um, the, the I don't know, I think Alamo Draft House. It wasn't the Draft House. It was the Palladium. The Palladium yeah. was, mm. was doing this uh, a recording of a play at the, Lon- at the London. Uh, the National. The uh, National uh, Theater. Yeah. yeah. Right so on. I remember seeing that. Yeah. Obviously, it takes a, a very... The camera crew, like the production team, really has to be almost part of the process because they have to know and anticipate what to capture. Otherwise, they're just guessing and they're probably going to be a step behind capturing any one particular moment that's really crucial to the story or or that's visually spectacular and needs to be properly, you know, ca- captured. Yeah, yeah. But um, fourth act, we've definitely had 
a concept brewing for a couple of years about how to bring just a, a regular straight play, not musical, something even low budget or low in, in setting or, or scenic design, something that would still authenticate something unique about the theater production. And so, in fact, GoPro is actually a really good tool for this concept, which is to capture the live performance with an audience from each actor's point of view. So it, on any given night, the, one of the actors, just one, would wear a body cam, wear a GoPro to capture first-person perspective. Mm-hmm. And the audience would have to, they'd have to be disclosed. Like they'd have to know that for that performance, Rick Kuzman is going to be playing the role of Tartuffe. He's going to be wearing, you know, um, a body cam for this performance. And like, look, I'm sure it's weird for like the first 30 seconds, but after that, it's just like, it doesn't affect the performance. It's just part of his costume, if you will. And all the while for that performance, Rick is uh, capturing footage from that character's point of view, from that actor's point of view. And if he's ever off stage, he'll probably, um, you know, catch some off stage shenanigans too, which is probably fun to watch from an audience perspective as well. Now, throughout the course of a run, if you're alternating the camera onto a different character every night, eventually you compile this volumes, these volumes of different yeah, footage. You get the whole play in a yeah. sense, right? Yeah, yeah. eventually. So you could offer to an audience watching from home the ability to pick and choose which character they'd like to experience. Oh, man, that is so cool to think about. Right? Wow, yeah. And then you could also offer a director's cut, like some clear, chosen, edited version of this person, this character's point of view from this moment to this moment. And you could offer, um, you could even extend the audience's power over creating their own director's cut were they to watch all gathered perspectives and put together their own edit they could have their own edit this is rick guzman's edit of beyond the horizon by eugene o'neill starring this cast and this is what he thought was the most important takeaways from the whole play now of course that means like you're an editor and you want to do that but big ideas you know this guy man this guy i tell you that's that's amazing. How would you uh, distribute something like that? Well, so something that we encountered is that um, there's no current platform that supports this type of viewer ability. Right, right. So the software doesn't exist as a like as a out of the box from somewhere currently. So we'd have to engineer some type of player, as it were. But digital makes the most sense, like, to be able to send it in the cloud. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, like, would you make, like, a website specifically for these kinds of productions to go visit? And then maybe, maybe then it gets picked up somewhere and go from there, but... Yeah, and, you know, at a certain point, we got a little precious with this idea, and we decided to kind of 
pursue patenting and stuff like that. And I, I was talking to different IP lawyers and, and stuff to try to encapsulate this. And there was really no way to, without the, the software homegrown, there was nothing to patent. It was like, cool, you have a cool idea. Like, uh, you know, execute it once and maybe we can try to figure out how to control the use of it. Right. 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 Um, but I mean, there's a lot of un unanswered questions and truth be told. Okay. This is like I said, I didn't know how far we we're going to get into this topic. No, please continue. So back in the nineties, <laughs> DVDs were supposed to come with a choose your own angle feature. And so every DVD player would have this button on your remote that I think it looked like a camera, like it was a camera icon. And the, um, the concept was that the movies would provide via the DVD, the, the digital video disc, <laughs> the ability for the viewer while watching the movie to alternate camera angles without disrupting the, the, the play, the playback. Ultimately, they realized that that was an editing nightmare and it would triple or more the size of the file for putting it on a disc, which at the time was very small right, right, in its right. memory. And so it really never took off. Like I, I still think it's one of the most genius concepts that's still unexplored to this day. And to really execute that, if you think about the the back like the work that that it would take the, the to time. generate that yes the especially time. with like an action movie and what comes with time money that's right yeah. but 30 years later it, they had the idea in the 90s 30 years later with the technology we have now they gotta be close if they're if not they it's it. just complete abandonment like they're like fuck that <laughs> we're not doing it dude what now's the time to bring it up i think for sure for sure and like I mentioned, we got to a point where we were kind of precious about the idea. And so ultimately in pursuing some of the protection of that intellectual property, we kind of became reticent in the execution of it. We actually did a couple of short films trying to do it, trying to capture that, that, that concept. And the story just goes to shit, especially when we're shooting with, Virtually no budget and not a long time to capture footage, but it was exciting as hell. And if there, if more comes my way as a, a way to, um, to practice, put it into, you know, uh, trial and error, Yeah, we're going to try, we're going to keep going. And I think it really has potential in theater as well. I think, I think theater is, uh, was it never stop learning? I mean, there's so many different things you can do, right? Theater has been going around for hun for hundreds of years. I mean, it's been one of the first things um, that as, 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 as a society, right, we built a theater, um, whether to be worshiped to God or whatever. That's right. But, um, and to this day, we're still doing it, right? And how have we made it better, right? We've added more lights, um, <laughs> right? I mean, we've yeah, made tech sets. Sometimes you take away lights. Sometimes you take away lights. I mean, it makes it, so it's just... Uh, it's a, another factor that we can throw in there. Like what's something else we can do to it? Yeah. I think the pandemic's really been a good thing for theater. 
I oh, really hell do. Hell yeah, hell yeah. Every, yeah. Everyone we've had in here on this podcast as a guest, and we bring up the subject, you know, what, how did it go during the pandemic, uh, including Matt, you know, it was like, dude, I got to find myself, or man, I got to really focus on, on my project. I got to... Yeah, it gave you the time to try something different safely, you know, mm. I think. Yeah. Well, you started thinking that this could, I mean, could, with an underlying italicized, bold, whatever, be the end. This yeah, yeah, yeah. is possible. Sometimes that is the most creative state you can function from yeah. is if you've got nothing to lose. There's no, there's no givens. Yeah. And there's some magic that can happen with that. Right. Yeah. I think like now that we're well into COVID and we think, Hey, this is where we want to head in the future. But you know, the future isn't we're not there yet right like the future happens when it happens but in the meantime i think one thing that could happen specifically in the theater industry is get immersive theater more popular something that's a little more interactive especially as covid is starting to chill out and we can get more people out into buildings mm -hmm. you know do something that's a little bit more new because um, really immersive theater is only popular in europe and new york city as yeah. far as so, i know so it's true i remember in high school we tried doing um too much light makes the baby go blind, which uh, there's a theater company in New York. Basically, they had like six shows and the audience can choose. So they have like one through six, right? And the audience can be like, oh, I want to see six first. And so the actors have to like get six prepared under a certain time and uh, let's perform six. And then the audience would be like, all right, now we want to see number one. And it's like, I don't know, 10 minute play, right? 20, 15 minutes, yeah, really short, but at different orders. And so every night is something different, right? The audience can choose. Oh, I want to see number two first. And all right, here we go. Like set up number two first. And then so uh, something like that. I think it was it was a great, great. I think it's an awesome idea. Um, we ended up not doing it in high school because uh, it was too <laughs> much. Uh, I think it was too, too much for, for, for the, just the budget and I think what we had. Um, but I think something like that was just such a great idea. But so it, there is a theater company in New York who does it. Um, I don't know if that's kind of like the subject. There's a, there's a few, and I think there might be one or two in Chicago where they kind of, it's like that, but imagine like you go into a building, like a set. Yeah, yeah, I and, know where you're going. You know, and you're there on set with these performers, and the performers are reacting to how you're reacting, and that's how shit kind of plays out. I think out. one of our professors brought up a story. I think it was in Chicago, New York somewhere, and, and uh, it's a building. Everyone's wearing masks, and you go into this building, and you can follow the, the actor. You choose someone that you want to follow ah. as you're walking through this building. And you follow this character. And you follow him to a room and he's doing something, right? Um, but then maybe you get distracted by someone else. And you start following that other person. Something like that. I mean, it's just, there's so many ideas you can. It's almost like those haunted houses that happen around October time. It's in a, it, in a sense, that's kind of, I mean, that's a theater. That's a Are you guys theater. talking about Sleep No More? Is that, that is, I've, I've heard of that production. I think I've seen videos of it on YouTube. It's like that. Like we, I think if we made that a little bit more popular in the times we are now in more places outside of New York and Chicago and places like that, like get those new works and ideas kind of everywhere. I think Do you guys go to haunted houses. Do y'all enjoy those? I do. Honestly, uh, I don't know. No. It's so fun. It's so much fun, no, especially actually, if you're I'll, I'll, wait, I'll wait in the car, man. I'm good. <laughs> 
Oh yeah, that's not your thing. No man. I'm oh sorry. okay, gotcha. No, so no, it's no. deliberate. It's not like oh I haven't been I haven't no, had no, the opportunity. It, You're no, like I, I stay away. I was traumatized. Uh, when I was <laughs> little. I went to SeaWorld with my parents, and I remember there was a werewolf man, and uh, that was it for me, man. And I was like, oh, gotcha. I'm getting. Gotta... That's too bad. They're a lot of fun. <sighs> they are. They are, and it's it's a uh, it's always interesting to see how far the actor will King go, yeah. right? And sometimes they go pretty far, like pretty 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 close, pretty far. <laughs> No, I bet they're great. Yeah, man. get into the it. The good ones. Uh, I mean, I think the videos I've seen. I mean, the costumes, right? It's, they 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 throw so much in there um, to make it worthwhile, and and some people love it. I that's just not my cup of tea, man. That's something the feeling about I'm about to die. It's not a, not a good <laughs> feeling, man. <laughs> but ultimately, you know that you're safe. I mean, I mean, you're not gonna. There's nobody. Well, who's, right, right. You're supposed to be safe. Right, you're supposed to be. That's Sometimes those buildings aren't OSHA. Okay, that's a different concern. I, that's I get not, that. That's, that's not like a horror movie concern. That's no, a that's just an everyday thing for me. Concern. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. No, that's funny. Oh, but see no more. Yeah, like, have you seen this before? I've never been. It's so hard to get a ticket. Right. I, I mean, I lived in New York for five years, and I tried a multitude of times, could never get in. Right. It's kind of a lottery system, and it's pretty expensive even if you win, but it is pretty well regarded there. They they consider it one of the foremost productions that you can go to in New York. It's there's nothing quite like it. Yeah, it is totally immersive. I wish more of those kinds of plays and theaters in general were um, everywhere. You know, agreed. Yeah. Um, so fourth act productions. You do. I mean, you do. So initially, it was movie, right, or short films in a sense. Yeah. But you've recently focused more into theater. I know you brought up. Um, Back in what was it twenty summer of twenty nineteen, uh, you did a show called The Mill, yeah, uh, which I got to be a part of. And talk about an experience, man! I, I just it was a one night only performance on a Saturday night, and we did the play that was based, uh, I guess, in uh, what's what's the term, uh, purg- purgatorium? Yeah, yeah, purgatory, purgatory, uh, and we did it in the church. Hell yes, uh, man. That's awesome. And uh, it was a one night only. We we I remember that like tech week. We took down, we moved candles, we moved a cross that was in the back, <laughs> yeah. like behind the pastor. It had like a, a twenty foot cross. <laughs> we oh took it gosh. down because we're like it doesn't really fit. And uh, we moved everything <laughs> and and we did it in a church, man. Like we did a play in a church. At one night only, we came in like moved. I mean, it took not one only did everything, but um, the show was a one night only. But moved, you know clear to set, make our own kind of set going on. And, and then after the performance, because Sunday they got church, we had to put everything back oh, after no. the performance. It's I true. Mean, but you know, it was an experience, man. Like I had never been a part of that. And, and mm. I remember hearing stories, uh, theater professors saying like, yeah, like I remember we find an abandoned building and like we have a lookout and wait for people to show and we have like lights. Right. And, and Hey, we spread the word. Hey, tonight, you know, we're doing the show at this building and mm. people would come and we kind of set up this somewhat of a stage, right. Very improv, improv too. And, um, and we do a, a show right then and there, you know, and, and it was, it felt kind of like that, right? Like we did this in a church, man. Like it was, for me, it was awesome. It was a great experience. Was it a good turnout? I mean, we sold out the space we did. for what, what it could It was full. Hold, yeah. Yeah, yeah it was full. Sick. Yeah. It was awesome. Um, and the show was great. And, and, and uh, Seth, I mean, uh, you wrote the, the play, The Mill. Yeah. You directed the play. By necessity. <laughs> by necessity. And you were in it. I was. You I were, was. like, the narrator to the story. Yeah. Um, 
you through the whole play while running on a treadmill <laughs> this is true it was great man i mean you were a triple threat man you did it all. how i mean just just I, I, there's so many questions off of that but just balancing those three things major key roles to a show how did you find the time to do that how did you i mean you wrote the play so i guess in a, you had your own vision uh from the start but uh, just balancing it out okay now i'm gonna perform in this and um i mean how did you do that i mean i wrote the play over uh, the better part of two years and i've i've held down a nine to five-esque job my whole life since i was i've i've been working since i was 13 you know and this this is the only thing that matters to me like in life is doing this if I had if gun to my head, one thing you can't take away, this is it. So you just find the time. I mean, you've got to maintain your mental health. You've got to keep some semblance of organization in your day to day so that you can eat, eat decent food and, and put a roof over your head. But, it matters that much to me. I mean, it's that it's it's as simple as that in terms of finding the time. I'm really blessed to have a network of people still in San Antonio that, number one, for their own personal and I I would say diluted reasons want to team up with me, <laughs> and number two, I think people are really hungry for new for original in San Antonio, especially as it pertains to theater, but in art in general, I think that there's a ton of needs met as it pertains to revivals, classics. You can go, the Majestic has great touring house. It's a great, you know, catches every major Broadway show that, that needs to make its regional tour, right? You've got companies like the Classic, the Woodlawn, the Josephine even doing some of their, the, the tried and true American and otherwise classics. But there's not a lot of original work happening in San Antonio, especially in theater. So when you say when you ask how did we do it i think we just found enough people that were searching for a need that they couldn't otherwise meet mm -hmm. and i'm curious from your point of view like i didn't know you mm -hmm. before that show and you were basically brought on by christian mm -hmm. yeah so i'm curious what what made you want to be a part of that? I mean, obviously none of us got paid. The whole production cost less than two grand to do. We, we pulled as much resources as we could, found any able, willing body to be a part of it. Yeah. But from your point of view, like, what did you get out of that? Like, what, what made you want to? Well, I think, I think what yeah. um, intrigued me was, yeah, so a mutual friend, uh, Christian, texted me and, and another good friend and was like, hey, man, like, I'm a part of this show. Um, we need some, some crew members, uh, some stage hands, like if, if you're willing to do it. Um, there was also old mutual friends in the show. Um, mm. and I think that, and the other friend was, his name was Nick. We were like, Oh yeah, you know what? Yeah. That sounds like a good time. Yeah, we'll go, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll check it out. And 
Um, I think we, the first rehearsal there, we saw a run of the show. Uh, we caught up with old friends, and, I mean, everyone just seemed like they were having a great time, right? I mean, it seemed mm-hmm. like a good environment to be in. Uh, everyone wanted to be there, right? And like you said, we weren't getting paid, right? This is out of our free time, things that, and, and, and yet everyone seemed like this is where I want to be right now. Mm-hmm. And so we're like, yeah, man, I want to be a part of this. And um, get, getting to meet you, getting to, to hear a little bit about you and hear your, your story and and doing this work, I mean, as as a artist, as an entertainer, someone, you know, that I, me personally, I enjoy doing that stuff. Um, being able to be a part of an original show in the first ever performance of this play um, is awesome. And uh, that's something I had not been a part of um, in that aspect where this is like the first time we're doing this um, one night only original play. Uh, it, it's just an experience and something I can um, look back and say, yeah, man, we did that. <laughs> you know, next time it comes up, it's like, hey, man, we're, you know, we're doing a play in a church. I've already done that, man. <laughs> you know, I mean, but but it's it's. I think at the end of the day, it was it was the experience, uh, getting to to experience that, and um, I mean, it, I don't know if networking is a good term, but I mean, getting to meet new people, man. You know, sure. That's all. At the end of the day, that's that's a great thing to do too, right? Put your name out there and meet new people, um, and you'll never know who you meet, right? You never know what comes out of it. Good perspective. Because now we're here. Good right? now, now you're here sitting sitting at my place doing this podcast. You it's know? true. That's uh, true. And I think you've turned out to be a great, great person to have in, in my in my phone that I can be like, hey man, what, what's up, man? What are you what are you doing? Just to catch up, you know? Sure. Um, sure. Okay. Yeah. But okay, so that's one of the interesting things about the city of San Antonio is that it's one of the largest cities in America, but feels like it's so small world yeah. here like everyone knows everyone in some kind of way especially in our little world that is the arts and in the city so but i feel like we haven't had that boom yet of where like how come everyone hasn't come together to do something like super fucking grand yeah that it's like hey wow san antonio i'm a young artist in california i want to live there and work there with these people yeah. like how come that hasn't happened yet I think a lot has to do with just the attraction. I mean, we have no equity theaters. Right? That's and I, and at the end of the day, right. that's what people want, right? Like, oh, I want to be famous. I want the, the, the chance to exposure and stuff. Well, and to work professionally, you're sure? I mean, yeah. that's fair enough, too. Um, money, maybe? I don't know. What do you think, Seth? I, I think it's concentration as well. We are, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but from my point of view, San Antonio is very much about Hispanic culture and... That's heavily ingrained in all forms of art, whether it's visual art, whether it's... I mean, the only original stuff happening in San Antonio from a performance standpoint, standpoint, be it theater or otherwise, is, you know, rooted in predominantly Mexican culture. Like all of our, you know, Luminaria, Fiesta, and Iosa, right? Um, The... Day of the Dead, all of the the major festivals and live events have that flavor, mm. and that's that's part of what makes us San Antonio. Like that's that's what sets us apart. But there's there are a lot of people that don't necessarily fit into that culture, fit into that, um, don't have that voice, can't contribute to that voice. Sure, right? Yeah, right. Makes sense. And that 
there's been very little attention paid to anything else other than that. So not that that needs to slow down, stop, change, or be different than it is, but there's been nothing running parallel to it, nothing complementing it, nothing else happening from an original standpoint. So I think that you're right. I've, I've given thought to San Antonio being a, a, as large a city as it is, but not really breaking through from an artistic standpoint, from a cultural imprint. Dallas, Houston, and definitely Austin have much more developed and evolved and diverse artistic voices. Right. So I think we're on to something interesting. I, I, I intend to spend the majority of my adult life figuring out what that is as far as what, what San Antonio's artistic potential is in theater. Yeah, well, you know, it might be that, you know, maybe San Antonio forever will always be like where the where the most beautiful Hispanic cultural hub in the not in just the country, but maybe the world, too. And it's like maybe that's OK at the end of the day. No, that's true. But here's the thing is that Los Angeles has that as well. Sure. Oh, and yeah. that's just part of the whole gestalt. Right. Yeah. And but. San Antonio has kind of never grown out of just that. Of that yeah. That's right. That's right. So I see San Antonio as being a, a miniature Los Angeles, just from a, from a artistic landscape. I don't necessarily think we're going to go as far as they did in the film industry, but I, I do see that although their roots are culturally tied to Hispanic heritage and rightfully so Mexico being so close both of those states. Right. Uh, LA has taken so many, it's grown in a variety of ways. And I think San Antonio has that potential too. Our food scene is starting to get dope, you guys. Like, right? With every little development. And look, I know there's problems with gentrification. I know that there's problems with the dilution of a concentrated culture. We don't, we shouldn't aim to lose anything. We should only aim to add to. And I can see, I mean, you guys, okay, I'm 32. You're 26? I'm 26. You're yeah. 26. I'm 23. Jesus Christ. Uh, cool. Um, <laughs> I'm going to pretend not to be mad. Um, so I'll talk to Matt for a second. <laughs> you want another beer? Uh, absolutely. Um, so... If you can, re- thank you. If you can recall when you were 16, um, what kind of stuff were you doing? I was, um, well, for one, I was living near Amarillo, Texas, where it's very underdeveloped, but I was involved in a lot of extracurriculars that allowed me to travel to a lot of places. So I was mm. coming to Austin for the first time and Dallas and like all these bigger cities in Texas. And I was sure. like, holy shit, these are the places I want to be because they're doing the things I want to be a part of. Whatever, whether it's the art scene or the food, especially Hispanic culture. Um, and that, uh, I think that was the biggest drive for me at 16, you know, in those teenage years, yeah. I suppose I, I wasn't sure where you grew up. I, I tort, sort of assumed that you were in San Antonio 10 years ago. The point I'm trying to make in asking that question is how much the city has changed just in the last 10 years. Oh. Especially regarding food and some of the 
uh, museum presence and, and some of those focuses? Well, from what I, cause I moved here in 2014. What I've seen is that in just having conversations with people who've lived here longer than me is that the city is one of the fastest growing cities in the country. I mean, just Texas in general, so many people are moving to the state that I don't it's think true. the state, I think the state's having a hard time keeping up with that. Um, but it's a good thing one for the state on an economic standpoint, but also, you know, if we're talking about art, yeah, we're going to get a lot of like fresh minds and different perspectives. And that's how we get the new thing, right. That can right. kind of travel along with the Hispanic, uh, what's the word you used? Um, Heritage? concentration, concentration oh, yeah. Yeah. that can go along with that concentration. Yeah. And Austin yeah. seems to kind of be the leading source or of the fight in that, you know, I I would have agreed with that statement up until probably three years ago, four years ago, yeah. and it seems to be dominated by tech now. Like it seems to be totally swallowed by that. There's uh-huh. a company in Austin that look. I I've only ever sought to model my own activity and and strategies after a very small number of companies out there in the world. And there's one in Austin that made the list and they're called the rude mechanicals. They're doing incredible work. You guys Austin. It's when I lived there, nothing could keep me from going to a rude mechanical show. It's always checking all the boxes. It's got incredible story. The writing is spectacular. There's always something novel, original, crazy happening. Something that you you take in and you're like, Jesus Christ, I've never seen that before. And it's run by a bunch of ragtag artists that don't have it's not some it's not backed by some big budget or anything. In fact, they lost their space. They got priced out of their their physical space. They're not there anymore. Yeah. I believe they function more as a troupe now, like circulating spaces based on the production. So they don't have a home. That's a problem, you guys. Like that is a problem. When when there's a company that had already established itself, I think it's over 20 years old at this point. And for it to have as quality output as it had and to lose funding enough to support itself there's something wrong there is something wrong fundamentally with the way that that works and that was part of the reason why i moved to san antonio versus austin um two years ago is that i thought austin's already being swallowed by amazon and its neighbors right have you guys been to the domain recently up in Austin? No, no, I haven't been there in a while. It's weird, man. It's so weird. It looks... Is it looking like California? It, I mean, no. I, I wouldn't say that. I would say it looks sort of spacey, like oh. dystopian. There, It looks fake and plastic. Oh, okay. Um, I hate it. Yeah. <laughs> it's so strange. Well, That's what's there. cool about San Antonio, man, is like the architecture here, anything you go into San Antonio, it's very unique and old and original and like even the newer shit that's coming up and out. And it's like, man, this should be the leading force of Texas when it comes to the art scene. You guys, yeah. I love the Pearl. Y'all, yeah. y'all go oh, to yeah. the Pearl, the right? Pearl's great. Yeah. How cool was it that they didn't just tear shit down and 
construct new things, they repurpose what was there. Yes. You, know, you guys love beer. Have y'all y'all ever go to Southerly, that brewery? Yeah. Down yeah. At the Pearl. They make good beer. Yeah. Solid, solid beer. And the interior of that restaurant leads into the Hotel Emma, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Man, they didn't tear out anything from the old distillery or whatever it was. They've repurposed everything from the conveyor belt, like rolling, you know, they, they, they repurposed yeah, everything. The, like the, the tubs or what, I mean, I don't even know what you call them, right? The containers, they the put tables in are, there. Yeah, yeah, they put tables in there. You can sit around like booths. Yes. It's great, yeah. Like that type of of reuse, not not let's erase what was, let's reuse and be able to speak to the history behind it in its new iteration. That That is very San Antonio, to your point. Yeah, and yeah. that's why I think I found my place. Like, that's the kind of place I want to be around. Yeah. I don't want to be somewhere that has, like, cookie-cutter uh, movements or cookie cutter thoughts or architecture or anything like that. And San Antonio is the first place I've ever lived where it's like, dude, this place feels so unique and original. And yeah. these are the kind of people I want to be around. UIW, the campus. Oh, yeah. The Incarnate yeah. Word campus mm-hmm. where we went to college. Like, dude, it felt not even, it didn't feel like San Antonio. It felt like something completely different. It was its own unique, the architecture there. It was, it was just beautiful. Yeah. Know? And it's old, right? Like, they, they didn't tear stuff down and make new. Like, they, kept it the, the the ad building and things old as yeah, heck yeah, dude, uh, old. but it's beautiful from the outside like i mean know. they renovate right but they don't sure we do no yeah. everything's still yeah really yeah. really old school yeah maybe what ought to happen is because there's a lot of uh different parts of san antonio you know i have like the north side south side and yeah. these aren't just like oh these are things that we say like when you say i'm at the west side that means something mm-hmm. right so maybe there needs to be like a concentration for the different sides different parts of the city mm. and like, Hey, what's happening here artistically, what's happening here culturally. And like, how can we kind of concentrate that into something bigger? I know on the South side uh, of San Antonio, there was another old brewery, uh, kind of like the Pearl, right? Moved somewhere else. They left the abandoned the, the location yeah. there. Um, and it's over on South side and they, the city is investing into it, kind of trying to do like a Pearl again, but over on the South side, mm. um, they've tried before, uh, but it just kind of failed. So they're trying it again now that the Pearl has its success. Um, they're trying something up, up there. So I think that's the goal. Um, but it's, I mean, it's, you're talking like millions of dollars um, to revamp that look. I mean, the Pearl wasn't cheap. I'm, I'm assuming either. Um, no. So and that was a private thing, right? Not, yeah. not city funded. It's the city. Um, it's developers. I'm sorry. It was a private company owned who bought out that brewery over in the south side and they're revamping it, it was oh, not the city. oh okay so a company gotcha. came in i think the city tried and it failed mm. and so now a private company's coming in to try to and uh revamp that area so they're trying i think they're that's the goal it's a catch-22 isn't it like yeah. the fact that you anybody that has this grand idea probably needs to come about the right type of funding and then you have programs state and local that have the money but there's no good ideas. It's just like, well, we got to use it somehow. And this is the way we've always sent it. So let's just keep doing that. Yeah. That's a really good point too. That's probably, you know, I wonder if that, uh, contributes to gentrification, you know, in yeah. other States and mm-hmm. that will, could possibly happen in Texas, but hopefully we don't go that way. You know? 
that's a tricky subject, man. Yeah, for sure. There, that's a tightrope. It's it's as good as it is bad, and it's as bad as it is uh, potentially good. <laughs> yeah, well, I've said it on multiple episodes that you know Texas, we're uh, we're the best, but we're not perfect. Could agree with that. Yeah. Seth, you're from San Antonio originally. Originally, yeah. Born and raised. Yep. Born and, and raised. Then, uh, you moved to New York after that, or what, what? What? If you don't mind me asking, I'll give you the the quick breakdown. Yeah, yeah. And I I'll try not to get too granular with it, but lived here my whole childhood till I turned 18. And I'll tell you, by the time I was 14, my mantra was, get me the hell out of here. Get me the hell out of here. Speaking of San Antonio specifically, that was 18 years ago when I was 14. And as soon as I turned 18, I went to College of Santa Fe in New Mexico to study with a particular professor who was teaching at that college. Very small. We're talking 700 students, totally private, but well-established. And this teacher, I mean, she's taught people like Orlando Bloom and uh, Daniel Craig, and she's she's British. Incredible resume. She actually taught Casey O'Brien as well. Just a fun fact for you, Rick. So following in his footsteps to a degree, I went there to learn specifically from her. Her name's Claire Davidson. I'm hoping to see her in May, this coming May, in London. Uh, But here's what happened. The school lost funding during my freshman year. I'm 18 years old. I'm racking up 18 grand worth of debt every semester to go to this school where the teacher I went to go study under... um, has to leave because the school lost all of its private donors. So all of a sudden I've put all my eggs in this educational basket to study under this particular person. And that totally gets pulled out from under me. I decide to drop out after one semester. I don't even finish the year with her. Cause I'm like, I can't justify the money knowing that the end is right here. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't want to stick around. It just wasn't worth it. So I came back to San Antonio after that. And I I had actually started a relationship with Hannah, my my wife, prior to going off to college. And we, we were cool about it. We we're like, we'll stay together, right? But like, maybe we won't, <laughs> you know? And we were both super chill about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it ended up being really great. We, we both really felt genuinely good about staying together long distance, whatever for that six months. But when I came back to San Antonio after that, all, all the shit hit the fan. All my focus was on her. Like I, I, I just wanted to figure out what we could do together because college obviously didn't work out. I didn't know what I was going to do. I knew I wanted to get trained. I knew that because I've always viewed acting as a craft. It's not just, you look good, you fit the part, you go to the place and you catch, you know, you scratch off the right ticket. It's, it's an art form. It's a craft. It is something that you learn how to do. You learn how to work. So I knew I still needed to get trained, even dropping out of college, but I'm in love with this woman. So I do a bunch of odd jobs. I work at liquor stores. I help a master photographer. I valeted cars. I, 
yeah, I detailed vehicles, um, tons of stuff. Made ends meet, saved money, bought a very inexpensive wedding ring or, you know, diamond ring and proposed to her, got her parents' permission, got married. Nine months later, we're in a U-Haul moving to New York City. Wow. Because I know that is where I can get trained. If there's a place in the United States that I can find a good acting teacher, New York's got to have a few of them. Yeah. So we go there and she's amazing. Like Hannah's supporting me this whole time through it. She actually has a much more stable career than I do. Uh, our whole relationship. <laughs> she works in cosmetology. She went to Paul Mitchell Academy. Oh, wow. You know, cool. hairstyling. But her her strengths lie more in leadership, management, stuff like that. And she understands the salon world. So she was able to win the bread, if you will. Absolutely. Yeah. Over the years. So, yeah, I, I went to New York, Hannah by my side, and I tried out five different acting studios. I went to Terry Schreiber, HB, I went to Stella Adler, I went to Michael Howard, and I even tried the Labyrinth Theater Company's class, because I love Labyrinth. That's Philip Seymour Hoffman's a, a founding member there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm familiar with it. So good. Such an incredible uh, company. But nothing stuck because I, I didn't believe in any of these teachers' philosophies. They were too loose or there wasn't enough logic attached to it. So for two and a half years, I floundered. Like I was just, we were there and I was like, I'm supposed to get trained. Like I, 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 that's why we came. I don't know. I don't know where I'm supposed to be, but we're here. Um, Okay, if I don't find the right program, I made her a deal. I made Hannah a deal because we're struggling. You know, it's New York. It's so fucking hard. Like, everything's competition. You you want to do your laundry? You got to wait in line. You, you want a cup of soup? You got to wait in line. You know, it's like, that's mine. That's, that's my machine. Wait your turn. Like, my clothes are drying in there. It's, it's a nuts. It's a nuts environment. Yeah. And so I made her a deal. Like, if I don't find my trainer, my teacher let's move. Let's go somewhere else because New York's too hard to live. Well, that summer from a recommendation of one of the teachers at Labyrinth theater, I got referred to this very small studio called La um, Maggie Flanagan studio. And this was a woman who had studied with um, Bill Esper, the, the leading Meisner teacher in New York. Sweet. And Bill Esper has got an incredible book. I strongly recommend any actor read that book. Whether you like Meisner or not, like some people fucking hate Meisner. Like some people are like, that's the worst. Like I hate Meisner actors. They're so, uh, you know, full of themselves and whatever. But I'll just be honest. Like I started that summer program at the Maggie Flanagan studio and I found my home. I found not only my, my philosophical home, but I found my, my people, like the people that were committed the way that I was and wanted to learn the way that I wanted to learn. It was nuts and bolts. It was still rooted in truth and logic, but it was extremely predicated on your inner life, the the feelings, the life experience that you bring to the craft. It just made perfect sense. And the teacher there, Charlie Sandlin, saved my fucking life. Like he saved my creative life. So what was a six week or a 10 week summer program became a two and a half year conservatory. 
And once I completed that, I told Hannah, okay, we did what we planned to do here. You've supported me through there, through this whole journey. Where do you want to go? And she's like, well, it makes sense to try LA. Yeah. Yeah. So we'd never, we'd never visited there. We'd never, we didn't have any friends there. Don't tell me you've moved over there. We moved to LA sight unseen from New York. We packed up everything we owned and, Bought a car and fucking drove to LA. I just got in a big argument with one of my good friends for that shit, man. Mm. And a mutual friend of everybody who knows here. Who? Nick Guerrero. Oh, yeah? <laughs> dude, that dude never been. He moved to. I don't, he's but, probably listening to this. But, yeah. Like but he, this dude moved to a different state and he's never. He never. He saw his apartment through Zoom. And I'm pissed me off, man. I was like, you haven't even seen this. He's like, we signed a year release. Come on, bro. Like, over Zoom? Dude, wow! But as we learned in Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, all, <laughs> all it takes is a leap of faith. I know, man. Sometimes you just gotta rip the bandaid off and just put yourself in that. So, <laughs> Nick, if you're listening, man, I love you, but come on, man. Anyways, sorry to interrupt. It's just, it's just, it's hilarious because this is we all know this guy, and I just got mad at him for doing this. And and here you're saying your life experience, man. How did it work out for yeah, you? Yeah, how did it go? All right, so. The, the only thing that we secured there was we had a 10-day Airbnb to live in to figure out in 10 days where we were going to get jobs and Dude, sign a lease. That's so exciting, though. I mean, it's the stre- reckless. Yeah. Stressful, man. Yes. But the stress of that sounds exciting. I mean, ultimately, it was fun in retrospect, but it was very stressful. Yeah. And... We we had our little dog, and there was it, we we never. I mean, LA is huge. Have you guys ever flown into LA, dude? Yeah, it's like LAX. a fucking sea. It's like a goddamn ocean. It's scary. It's nuts. I'll never forget the feeling of flying over LA at night. It was okay. a night arrival, and you 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 get above LA in the plane, and you look down, and you're like, oh, we're we're here. We'll be landing soon. And like 40 minutes later, you're still at that level. And you're like, what the fuck's going on? It's huge. It's huge. It's gigantic. And it just goes on forever. You think it's never going to end. It's a Twilight Zone experience. It's just that big. So to move to L.A. sight unseen, no exploration, no, all of our research is Google half-ass internet shit, right? Yeah, yeah. And have 10 days to figure out, okay, let's choose this neighborhood and jump in here and whatever. (sighs) L.A. was a weird time for sure. I did not enjoy it from from an acting standpoint. How long were you there total? One year. One year. If I didn't want to be an actor, I would have stayed in L.A. for the rest of my life. (laughs) You think so? I do, yeah. Because it had just like all the other things? It was like San Antonio on steroids. It had all the amazing Mexican food and, and it wasn't Tex-Mex, but it was close to it to like bring up all nostalgia. And there was no shortage of things to do. Just like in New York, you could do anything. Vegas was a three hour drive. I'm a huge poker player. You know, uh, the beaches are incredible. San Francisco, like California is a decent place to be for fun. For for fun. Yes. And and the mountains are there, yeah. and wine is incredible. And look, I'm a, a left-wing kind of guy, so 
the politics didn't bother me. You know, I don't go as far left as many uh, uh, Californians do per se, but they, the politics didn't bother me. Right. But being an actor there sucks, especially if you're not, if you haven't made it, I'll give you an example. I would drive Uber and Lyft to make ends meet sometimes. And one night in particular, I picked up these two young, somewhat attractive females, and they were laughing. They got in the car and they were laughing, and I, uh, of course, I'm a, I'm a, I'm pursuing acting. I'm a, I'm a wannabe actor at this point. That's what I moved there to do is to build my career. These two girls are laughing. They're talking about some interaction they just had. Picked them up from a restaurant or a club or something, West Hollywood. And they're, they're laughing that one of them says like, so he says to me, well, I'm an actor. And so I ask him, oh, so what restaurant do you work at? And like my soul just died, you know? And they, they were laughing hard at that line that they had just delivered to some poor schmuck. And one of them leans forward to me and says, you're not an actor, are you? And I had that Peter you know, renounce Jesus moment where I was like, no, <laughs> I was like, not me. No way. How dude. dare you? <laughs> I'm an architect student. <laughs> that sucks, man. That sucks. Something yeah. really happened to me that night. Like I can, I can pinpoint that evening as being like, this is not the right place for me. It was coupled with not having an established network of friends there either, like a support group. Right. I had a couple of people that I liked, but it was lonely and the restaurant scene there, like that's how I would pay most of my bills in New York and LA ultimately was waiting tables and bartending, whatever. Cause that's good money. But the culture of actors and even peripheral, you know, other, other practices of art, within restaurant culture in LA was awful, man. Like in New York, if you've got an audition and you need a friend or like a coworker to cover you, they got your back. What's the audition for? Oh, cool. Yeah, no, I'll cover for you. No problem. Just give me a call. In LA, it's like, oh, you have an audition? Send me your website. What have you been in? Like, uh, uh, it's like pretentious and shit. Yeah. Like it's all competition. There's no camaraderie. This is just my experience, right? I'm just sharing what happened to me in one year, the circles I ran. I just hated it. I hated it from an acting standpoint. So I told Hannah about halfway through the year, it's like, we can't, I I can't be here. Not if I want to do what I want to do. And she was cool, man. Like she was super successful managing a salon in Beverly Hills, like making good money. And she's like, cool, let's ditch it. Like, where do you want to go? She's always had my back, man. She's, she's fucking. I, I just want to touch on it. Hannah's awesome. In the yeah. times I've, I've met her, yeah. you, you've had us over at your house. Great, great person. But behind every great man is a great woman. It's a, it's a, it's a better woman, right? Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I would say behind great people are more great people. Yeah. Right. Yeah. In our lives. I mean, yeah. and, and so I have a good friend who owns his company and he's 50 50 with his girlfriend, fiance now. Yeah. And, uh, and I asked them that question, you know, how important is it having someone who supports you in a relationship? And I'll ask you the same question. I mean, how important is it 
having someone that you know has your back 100% and something like this and, and either starting your own company, being an entrepreneur, being an artist. Um, I mean, it's hard. It gets stressful. Sometimes income making ends meet. Uh, how important is not is having that? Because you can't do this on your own. Um, you got to have that, that fallback, someone to... You can be the strongest guy in the world, right? But you got to have someone to put your sh- your head on, uh, put your what your head on their shoulder, right? You got to have that somebody to talk to. And um, how important is that in your experience? I love that you qualified the question within your experience because obviously I have mine, right? right? And it's been with Hannah, and I've only ever imagined what it would have been like to be without her. It would have been very hard. It would have been very different, no doubt about it. And she's had my back in more ways than I can count and has pulled me out of many holes, most of which I dig for myself. Yeah. Yeah. I've got some masochistic tendencies, self-sabotage oh, yeah. stuff in my blood. As artists do. As, as yeah. artists do. <laughs> I think that the, on the other question to that too is, and not necessarily, you know, it's just a general for the group, uh, how important is it to get out of, something toxic in your life whether it be a relationship whether it be where you're at um being able to say you know what man this this ain't good for me you know that's important too to say to realize and be a man about it right to be an adult about it and say i i need to get away from this because it's not helping me right now i would say that bad experiences are just as good as good experiences right like uh living through the shit is just as important as living through the good shit so like you don't need to put yourself in a toxic situ- in a in a toxic situation because dude avoid that heartache but toxic shit just follows you no matter where you go in life because life is tough it's not meant to just be easy. So if you can get yourself out of the toxic situ- toxic situation and um uh, what's the word meditate on it and it's like that's why it was bad that's why I didn't like it this is what I'm going to do different moving forward. That's the important thing in my experience to take away, whether it's relationships or jobs or, you know, people, whatever it is. Yeah. It's only good in retrospect. (laughs) (laughs) Like if you're, if you're there, right. um, In the middle of it, it's not necessarily, uh, you can't recognize what you're gaining from it in the moment. If it's toxic. No, because you just bitch about why it's uncomfortable at the moment. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Like it's not, you're not suffering and conscious of like, oh, I'm growing. You know, like fuck, no one says no, that. No, <laughs> no, no. You're, uh, you're like, fuck this. I hate this. Why is this happening to me? But um, it's not until later. Yeah. Right, right. Only after the fact can you can you gain from that. And so, um, I'm, man, we're already running over an hour 15, but who cares, man? Because it's always beer 30 here. Uh, it's always beer it's 30. It's always beer 30. R- real quick, uh, Seth, um, what a fourth act production. What's the future? You guys got a project in the works right now. Uh, what's that? What's that about? Hey, thanks for asking. The, we've got a production currently in the works. Yeah, it's, it's scheduled to be performed in the middle of November at Alamo City Studios, downtown off Houston Street. We are calling it a short play tasting. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be six original works, and one of which will be uh, mine. One of, one of mine is uh, in the mix, 
and we've got a company of 22 artists, whether they're acting, writing, or directing, involved in the process. We're hoping to champion new voices, grow our network so that it's not just the core six people in fourth act doing all of the creative and, and uh, direction setting for the content. And we're having a ball, man. Good. Yeah. We've, I've been able to meet some really incredible people that I didn't know were here. We held three rounds of auditions. We sent out uh, a, a, a series of, of outreach to our extended networks of like, hey, are you writing something? Do you have something to workshop? Do you want to develop something? Do you have a large piece that you'd like to take a sample of or a tasting of and, and put it in the mix? So, excuse me, the beer got me there for a second. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. The, the piece that I have in the, in, in, as part of the production is actually a snippet. It's a scene from a full-length play that I endeavor to produce in its entirety next year in the spring. Oh, great. So it's kind of like a little try before you buy uh, you That's know, awesome. come check it That's out. So cool. Um, yeah. We don't have like an official name for it yet. Like marketing's not my strength. <laughs> um, but we've been calling it a short play tasting. Six original shows, three nights, um, November eighteenth, nineteenth, and twentieth at Alamo City Studios. We don't even have it on a website right now. Yeah. And where can they find Fourth Act Productions at? Well, we do have a website, so that's helpful. FourthActProductions.com. All spelt out. You know, it's not the number four. It's F-O-U-R-T-H, ActProductions.com. Sick. Yeah. Are you guys also on social media at all? Or? I'm so shitty at that. Like, I, I really need to branch out or grow that skill or find the right person who genuinely loves it. I understand. It's hard, man. Yeah. If you could have someone who just kind of does that shit for you, who yeah. gets it, because there's yeah. so many parts of the mechanics, but luckily you know all that shit. You are very good at that, Rick. Like, I, I, I respect that. We've got an Instagram page. We have a, um, a Twitter account that is completely unused. I mean, we post very very sparse it can get very time consuming yeah uh, i find some when i had my old podcast i found myself posting more on that than my personal one um i mean it's just preference i guess but yeah it can get time consuming and uh it, it's tricky um but yeah man if you ever need help let me know i know data doesn't lie <laughs> you know i know the value of having these presences i do but the activity related to generating it is so uninspiring to me. Like I'm so not motivated to do the action. See, I love that doing that. It about. You you I genuinely do. I love doing that. But that's oh, why Jesus there Christ. are. That's yeah. why job uh, like job positions have been created for doing yeah. these specific things because that's the world we live in now. Yeah. Like companies hire people yeah. to specifically do that shit. Yeah. Like I'm. I was really proud of my of my. So my old podcast would be called Cigar Night. Yeah. And uh, I used to be really proud of that page. I I would. Yeah, I genuinely like that stuff, man. I'd always have ideas like, oh, maybe I should try taking this picture or uh, try this or something new. So, And I, I'm trying to do that with this one, but, I mean, life life gets ahead, man, sometimes, you know. Of course. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I love doing that. And I, yeah, yeah, it's great. I, um, I just came to the realization that at the beginning of this podcast, I said, or this episode, hey, Seth Miller, 
Are you the real Seth Miller because you're not the band? And what a fucking dipshit am I? It's Steve Miller band, not Seth Miller Man, band. You fucking suck. Fucking... <laughs> hey, fun oh. fact though, my brother's name is Steve. There you go. That's so there you go. It was just one degree of separation. What's the the full length play that you're trying to do? So the full length play is called Mountains of Sicily. Don't judge me. <laughs> you uh, last time we talked. So I think you do so something so cool, man. Um, we, we you try doing it once a month, but again, lives get ahead of us. Sure. But you you have you know gatherings at uh, at, at, a, at different places, and and we're just gonna sit down, and have some drinks, have a good time, and read a play. Sure. And that's awesome. I was telling Matt about that before you got here, um, and it's so cool. But you you talked a story about that how you got these random mountains. Oh, you're talking about me buying the set. The yeah, set the set. For the play? And and you're like, I need to find a play to incorporate these set pieces. <laughs> oh in. my god, yeah. It's a chicken and the egg situation. I, I mean, I definitely started conceptualizing a, a play set in a mountainous town before stumbling upon this purchase that I would inev- like eventually make. But the, the play Mountains of Sicily, the, the one that I've been developing for two years now, Jesus, COVID, thank you, um, is centered in sort of like a if you could imagine San Francisco's art scene set like nestled in the Colorado mountain range, you know, Aspen, uh, Denver, Boulder, that kind of thing. That's kind of the rubric that I, that I placed this town in. And so the city is called Sistole and Sistole is a, is a physiological process where the heart is pumping blood out into the rest of the body. So that's like, it's the contraction of, of the heart, it's life, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You'll hear the word systole on Grey's Anatomy sometimes if you mm. ever watch that shit. Mm. Um, so I came, I, I liked the idea of this visual of very sharp, jagged mountains being the backdrop of a story that I'd like to tell, which is kind of like the ebbs and flows, the ups and downs, right? Like that imagery to be present on stage all at all times, that that up and down trajectory, that, that shape. It's about an artist. It's about an artist's journey and the ups and downs, the roller coaster that is uh, that, the pursuit. And Justin Myers, a mutual friend of all of us here, um, told me about this site that like auctions off all types of stuff, office equipment, uh, furniture, school, school stuff, uh, um, audio and visual equipment, all kinds of stuff. And he told me about this site and I started following it. They send me emails every couple days or whatever. And sure enough, they were selling off a series of, of like, it was like parade type of things like floats and, and uh, trailers and yeah, I forgot what the word is for that shit, but I get you saying. Yeah, yeah parade shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there you go. And they had this photo. And look, the photo is like online, these auctions. They, it's a thumbnail. It's like a an inch by an inch photo yeah. of what the product is. And a little description. That's how you've got to work with. Well, the description is um, high-density foam mountain range and i i'm like what and i look into it i i check it out 
and it's beautiful. Like it's the the little thumbnail that I can see looks cool. Like it's it's kind of like blue and it's snow capped and I have no idea how big this shit is. Like there's nothing to scale. There's nothing next to it that kind of demonstrates the size of it. So I throw in like a seven dollar bid on this mountain foam rain foam mountain range, right? Well, nobody else bids. I win. I win whatever it is for seven bucks. And I'm like, okay, cool. Well, I guess I'll just rent like a U-Haul and just in case it's bigger than I think and go down there and get it. So the date comes and I go go drive to pick it up. You guys, it is about 160 feet what? wide and um, eight feet tall. So just, just imagine that. And it's in, it's in four foot by eight foot blocks. Right, right, right. Right? But it's about 160 feet tall or like wide, all the pieces next to one another. So I show up with a U-Haul and it's like comically not going to fit. Yeah. Like the guys just keep bringing the shit out of this giant warehouse. And I'm like, is this all of it? And they're like, ha, no, like, they're laughing at me. I'm just this skinny white guy trying to fit in a bunch of <laughs> foam mountain ranges pieces into my U-Haul. Um, so it took me two trips. It costs, it has cost me almost a thousand dollars to store it by now just because of how large it is. But initially it cost me $7 and it was very inspiring. Oh my gosh. What what are you going to do with that? I mean, it's in storage right now, but we're, we plan to use it. Okay. With the production idea that you're kind of developing. It does look very cool. Like I'm very happy with it. And it probably would have cost me more than a thousand dollars to replicate what visual it will add to the play eventually. But it's just funny how shit happens. Yeah. It's that just, sucks, it, yeah. dude, it was just, when I heard that story, I was like, Oh my gosh, man. Like, it's absurd. It's absurd, man. Like, $7. Who does that? Seven dollars, <laughs> $7. $7, man. What a, what a steal. <laughs> What a steal. And I didn't even like think much about it. I, I just bid what was the highest at yeah. the moment and yeah. left it and like kind of forgot about it. You could have doubted a dollar. I mean, I think the next bid was five and it was like a $2. It's so stupid. Man. Well, I can't wait to see whatever that ends up being. Yeah, dude, that, it's great. Um, Seth, thanks for being here, man. Man, this was fun easy you know, like relax Seth I think you would uh, be very successful if you started your own podcast yeah I think you're definitely you, you have so much kind of person yeah life experience and and just what you're doing right now um, yeah man very interesting interesting guy I appreciate it guys like I just hope that uh, you know whatever product you're putting out there that I can play a part in in making making what y'all are hoping to achieve a little easier one no man it was we we appreciate you being here man it's it was thanks for being here yeah pleasure is mine thank you guys hope you enjoy the beer too man oh always good shiner oktoberfest can't 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 beat it man hell yeah well i guess it's about that time huh rick yeah yeah it's about that time and i'm i'm rick guzman and i am matt shavers and seth miller thanks for being here one more time man thank you so much You guys are great. Ah, man. Everyone, thank you for listening, and we'll see you on the next episode. Cheers.